0: Welcome to Satisfaction Factor, the podcast where we explore how ditching diet culture makes our whole lives more satisfying. Welcome back to Satisfaction Factor. I'm Naomi Katz, an intuitive eating, body image, and self-trust coach.
1: I'm Sadie Simpson, a group fitness instructor, personal trainer, and intuitive eating counselor. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Elizabeth Watkins-Price. Elizabeth started EWP Consulting in 2021 after working many kinds of jobs over the last two decades, including years spent as a classroom teacher, a civil rights lawyer, and a judicial educator. One pillar of her consulting business is transition coaching, where she helps clients navigate significant life changes ranging from divorce to career transitions and also coaching people who are approaching retirement. Elizabeth is also both personally and professionally committed to her work as a mindfulness meditation teacher. She designs courses that weave together the subjects of body awareness, body compassion, and body liberation into the development of a mindfulness meditation practice. This was a great conversation with Elizabeth and I just, I love her and I can't wait for everyone to hear what she's all about.
0: Yeah. She is fantastic. And her approach to mindfulness meditation is just long overdue and great. So enjoy everybody. So welcome Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, delighted to actually, I was going to say meet you in person, but we are still on Zoom, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but I'm, I'm excited to be having a synchronous conversation with both of you at the same time, rather than just, uh, you know, listening to the podcast while I'm on a walk.
0: We definitely feel the same way. If it's all right with you, we're going to just dive right in. What we like to sort of start with, with all of our guests is, can you give us an idea of what your personal experience with diet culture has been?
2: Ooh, yeah, that is a doozy to, to start with. Um, I guess, like most people in this culture, it's extensive. I, I have, uh, I have, I have been kind of dredging up some of these memories in my writing and my work around this subject. I have at first been disturbed to realize, and then sort of some, made friends with this this fact about myself that, in fact, diet culture stretches back to my very earliest memories as a small child crawling on a counter, um, you know, to, to reach into the off limits goodies that had been hidden out of reach. And yeah, so it, it's, it goes all the way back and it has mm-hmm. been messy and uh, complicated and varying degrees of traumatic along the way. And then in the last decade, it has been sort of the unpeeling of that onion the mm-hmm. the layers of sort of little tastes of i'm just really mixing metaphors with this but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> as i'm unpeeling the la- the layers of the onion i guess i'm tasting them but it's these little <laughs> little niblets of freedom <laughs> you know, this little bits yeah. and pieces of space. That's the, that's been the process for me. The healing has, has been uh, like for so many, not linear, not, not straightforward at all. And yet it has been so different from what came before that I've, I've wanted more with each, yeah, each new little bit of it
0: hmm. I love that. I love all the metaphors for one thing. <laughs> yes. We love a metaphor around <laughs> here. And they're all like just really spot on. Like, I don't feel like there's any need to just stick with one metaphor because they all fit. <laughs> That's right. Yes. yes. <laughs> all yeah. foods
2: and all metaphors fit in this conversation.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and sometimes when the metaphor is a food, that also fits. Yes. Double <laughs> I mean, I don't love it for you that your memories of diet culture go that far back. But, you know, it's it's so important, I think, for people to hear how many people have these memories that go that far back and that even when they go that far back, healing is something that they can get to. And it's not going to be linear and it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be easy and it's going to take some time and some twists and turns and stuff like that. So, yeah, I I really appreciate you sharing kind of that whole arc with us.
2: Yeah, I think it is so important, you know, to see that. I remember when learning like when I first learned about intuitive eating somebody talking about oh it must have been Christy Harrison you know talking about people's food histories and um and the people who would talk about oh I didn't have any dieting history until high school or until college or until my wedding or whatever those landmarks that can also be triggers And I just, (laughs) and she would always say, well, that helps, you know, that makes it easier. You have these earlier memories to reconnect with. Mm -hmm. And I always found that even though she was, she was really skilled at, um, at telling other stories, I found it a little dispiriting. And like, there are so many ways that diet culture and other systems of oppression make us feel like we're broken, make us feel like there's something so very wrong and, Um, and I think that that's a starting point that makes it hard to do the work to feel better. Not that it's just all in our control. I mean, the systems, um, yeah, it's, it's, I I talk a lot about the inner and and outer work, but
0: yeah, it kind of has to be both, right? Like we can't just do one or the other. I
2: have had a really winding path in my professional life as well. I think there's a a temptation, especially as someone who works in, you know, I do coaching and I, I coach people around professional Uh, changes. And I have this version of the story where it's like, I can tell you how these things fit together in this way that kind of makes sense to go from being an ESL teacher for five years to being a civil rights lawyer, like to to then doing judicial education and now being a mindfulness teacher and coach. (laughs) There are connecting threads. Mm -hmm. And I have always been an educator. I have always been an advocate. And so there are these themes that are really true. And also, I think it's just another sort of example of how I have really invested in the work in my, uh, in my adulthood has been about trying to be more and more true to who I know myself to be. And that evolved. I think that in some ways, this process has been about making the next best decision time after time, knowing what I knew at the moment when I spent five years in the classroom and encountered just so many systems of oppression for my students that were too big to solve in the classroom, you know, despite the great work that we did on reading and on language acquisition, then, you know, law school seemed like an avenue to get better tools. And, Law school also seemed like a way to get some some safety in my own life in a way that was not entirely internally motivated. So as I stepped off of the achievement wheel and um, increasingly looked for the places that were in alignment with what I was learning about, how I wanted to spend my time and where my gifts really are. I think I was getting closer and I was, uh, I, I don't regret any of the the twists and turns. It's, it's been a little bit of a winding road though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. But like, yeah, I see what you, what you mean about the common threads. I can, because I can see education, I can see advocacy and like that those things sort of carry through all of those iterations
2: yeah. I think that those are the, p- that those threads are the pieces that feel true to, to kind of like identity level, like t- to how I see myself. And now it's just experimenting with how to use them in the ways that feel most meaningful and potentially most impactful.
0: So I know that one of the things that you do is like transition coaching, like coaching folks through life transitions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious about whether that's something where you see diet culture type narratives showing up for folks and holding them back and complicating those transitions.
2: Oh, I love that. And, and yes, I think that (laughs) those narratives Complicate and uh, like all of our lives, and so it's interesting because actually that transition coaching started as more specifically retirement coaching, mm-hmm. um, and and even so, uh, working with women approaching retirement, there were a lot of conversations around intuitive eating and health at every size uh, because that was work that I was doing. And so in in sharing some tools and conversations, it was coming up and it was as transformative for folks who were at that stage in their professional life, you know, figuring out that, that third act as, as it's sometimes called as it is in, you know, in, in, younger people and I'm gonna just tell like a really <laughs> brief story about how it, one way that this sort of shows up, it's not just diet culture, it's all of these limiting stories that we learn really early on persist. And I remember talking with a judge who was a year away from retirement. And she was talking about how even so every time she sat down to write a decision, she had the thought go through her mind of, is this the time where I don't have any idea what to say? And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, as a new lawyer, when I was having this conversation with her, I was like, oh, no, it doesn't get- work. <laughs> this feeling's not going to go away. <laughs> but <Wow. laughs> but yeah. then there was something that was sort of like, wow. as I as I became more skilled with learning how to work with thoughts and some of these other skills that I've been developing over the last decade, I realized that that's okay. If, if, you know, These thoughts are going to keep coming up. They're mm-hmm. going to keep coming up and we just get to work with them differently.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that so much. Also. Oh my God. I can totally relate to that. Like as long, as much as we've been doing this, I feel like there, every time I'm like, I'm not going to have any idea what to say. And then the next thing I know it's like an hour and a half later and I've like talked to myself hoarse, and I'm like, Oh, I have some things to say.
2: (laughs) That I know something. Yeah. When do we stop being surprised by that? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Never. Apparently (laughs) you're so right about how, reflective that is of these limiting beliefs that we've been sort of conditioned by society to have by these various systems, diet culture certainly being one of them, and all the other systems that diet culture tends to be intertwined with. So, you know, white supremacy shows up in that, sexism shows up in that, so many different systems show up in that. And that's that's really interesting to hear how that shows up for folks as they're trying to navigate transitions in their lives. And like, what of those narratives do they want to bring them with them into the next phase? And which of those narratives do they want to let go?
2: Yeah. And I think because the way that I work with people is so rooted in mindfulness, it's never, you know, I'm never encouraging Never, uh, that's a, that's a word I generally avoid, but it's, it's rarely that I'm trying to convince anyone to change anything about how they're thinking. And it's more that I am inviting them to notice and to choose how they're using those thoughts. Cause yeah, I do think that so much of it is really baked in and the, Mm -hmm. the opportunity for skillful means is, is what comes right after that first
1: thought. Oh my gosh, that is so refreshing almost to hear you say that because a lot of times when not us specifically, but when in general, you hear from these figurehead coaches, like these celebrity people on the internet, there's this sense of authority and the coach trying to get us to completely change our mindset, to change our lives and to do this, that, and the other. And we will automatically be cured of all of our problems and that sort of thing. And I love hearing the way that you bring your coaching practice to the table and the way that you work with your clients is not by saying, Hey, you got to change your mindset with the way you're thinking is wrong. And instead working with folks to really just kind of assess what they're thinking about and sit with their thoughts a little bit and incorporate some of that mindfulness practice. And I think that is just so needed in any kind of coaching leadership style position. So, Oh, I just love that so much.
2: (laughs) I think there's space for like changing certain mindsets, but I think that, you know, I think that when we come at it from that mindset shift, like, as you're talking about, like, it's like, I think of it as the magic bean approach. It's like, this is the cure-all and that immediately puts my I don't know, that puts me on a defensive, in a defensive posture and I'm immediately skeptical and, mm. <laughs> and all kinds of things, parts of myself get shut down immediately. And so I find that especially, um, I mean, it's it, like, especially in relationship with um, talking specifically so much about the body and about our relationship with our body, the, the self-compassion part is the whole ball of wax, really, in my opinion, it's what makes mindfulness The opposite of diet culture. It is Mm. completely antithetical to diet culture because diet culture is making us feel inadequate, making us, you know, it's perpetuating these thoughts about our insufficiency and our like, you know, never stacking upness. And the way that I teach mindfulness meditation is really with an emphasis on kind attention. It is not about silencing the mind, it is not about. Manufacturing some feelings that aren't true. It is about uh, holding what is happening with enough compassion to be able to tell the truth of this moment to ourselves and recognize that we can offer ourselves the kindness to support that.
1: You're going to make me cry. Like (laughs) that is literally bringing tears to my eyes. Oh my gosh. That is just so beautiful. I just, I don't have any words right now. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it it really is. Kind attention is a phrase that I think the first time you and I spoke, you you told me about this idea and it it really it really struck a chord with me too. I think kind attention is such a beautiful way to phrase that and just something that just the whole world could use more of. Seriously.
1: Oh my gosh. I never oh. like
0: get emotional like this. <laughs> true. I have never seen this happen.
1: <laughs> How did you begin incorporating some of this mindfulness meditation into your coaching work? I became serious
2: about mindfulness as I left the practice of law. I was really burned out and my anxiety disorder had gone from a thing that I was managing to a thing that was really getting away from me and becoming disruptive to my life in so many ways. And so (laughs) I remember I was living in the Midwest for just this one year and I was at a university hospital to do a mindfulness class because that's where it was offered. And uh, it was part of their integrative medicine and <laughs> everyone went around the circle talking about why they wanted to do this class. And I, and we got around and everybody was like, you know, even people who said things like depression or anxiety, you know, they were just like, it was a couple of words and they kept it moving. And we got to me and I just out of nowhere, this sob of like, I just need something to be different. It just was like, I cannot be cool <laughs> in this conversation <laughs> I cannot be casual about this as something has to give mm-hmm. and that was about the same time that I was uh, I was I was working as a director of career services and um, it was when I was starting to do some of this coaching and that and was connecting in other realms but it was pretty immediately as I saw the potential for this to give really some space because when you're doing coaching especially around Around any any big change, but around professional changes or you know, job searches, it's so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this like this kindness, the, the power of this kind attention, of I was just finding it so obvious. Despite my really serious intention not to describe it as a magic bean, I did feel like it was just it was this dramatic change mm-hmm. that was possible in how I related. And it was, it was impacting the students and the alumni that I was working with. It inserted itself.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the, the power of having somebody meet you with like curiosity and compassion and kindness and like not trying to like tell you what to do, but to just hold space for all your feelings around the things that you're doing. I'm curious. I know that one of the big things that you do is that you incorporate this body compassion and body liberation and stuff like that within your mindfulness and meditation space. And I love what you said about how like mindfulness is kind of like the antithesis to diet culture. And I'm Mm -hmm. very curious about, I think- in mainstream mindfulness and meditation there is a lot of diet culture at least that's been my interpretation of like what i've seen around the internet and i know that like for me personally it has felt like a big hurdle to pursuing a practice like that is you know and i think some of it is that the practitioners are often thin somewhat wealthy conventionally attractive white women And also I think there's something in what they're teaching that feels like that too. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. Okay. So for about a year and a half, I've been holding
2: space for other mindfulness teachers who (laughs) it's a very small group at the moment, but for other mindfulness teachers who are interested in or open to talking about mindfulness with a fat liberation lens, you mentioned like I've, I've designed courses on, mindfulness for body compassion and mindfulness for body liberation. And I talk about myself in the teaching community as bringing a fat liberation lens to my mindfulness practice, Mm -hmm. um, because I think people are really, as you mentioned, really unaccustomed. I was so disturbed (laughs) when I started, I laugh just because it's just like, oh, of course this is what I found. But when I first started thinking that I was going to go from taking Um, from teaching just like these little teeny bits of mindfulness and and professional development that I was doing before to really investing some years in developing my teacher practice. I started looking around at who else is already doing this? Where is there some community and looking at who is teaching mindfulness and, and the body. (laughs) There were lots of Google searches or mindfulness and, uh, for threat liberation. And it just honestly, it it all came up with diets. It came up with mindfulness for weight loss. I remember so clearly the stomach dropping kind of teary eyed response to that, even Mm -hmm. though I also recognized it because I had hesitated. I had thought about doing the two-year mindfulness teacher certification program two years before I actually signed on to do it. And I hadn't done it because I was so bothered by what I was seeing as diet culture in that space. And then as I continued to find that this practice was really a, a very significant part of my own healing journey and that it was having impact in the, other, the lives of other people where I would share it in this context, I, I was like, well, I guess I have to go make that space. Mm. I know that there are people, now I, now I know more about other people who are doing this work Jessamyn Stanley, for sure, I'd known as a yoga teacher for a long time, but also she's teaching mindful, or, you know, she's teaching meditation more and more. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are others who have made that, you know, that natural kind of slide from um, yoga for all bodies to um, including more meditation. But yeah, it it just seemed like this is a space that could use a whole lot more voices in it. (laughs) And when I started this, this group, sorry, it's a little bit of a winding answer, But the first day that I met with the other teachers who joined my, my group for teachers open to this conversation, the common theme was, I wasn't sure that I could actually be a mindfulness teacher in a fatter body, like in a larger body or in a fat body. People, the, the language that's shared in that space is really different. And so not everyone uses the same. I tend to use fat in the value neutral kind of way, but that is. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's really been interesting to find the significant variety of levels of kind of experience or language or mm-hmm. interest or um, access to these conversations so far. And it, it definitely feels like a space where there's work
0: to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that you're in the space doing it <laughs> like mm-hmm. that, like you saw this as inaccessible. You saw that it was problematic and you like just dove right in there and created your own. So like this space doesn't exist. And so I'm going to create this space. And I think that that's amazing.
2: I, I think that what you talked about, about teachers, it's not just the like stereotype of the mindfulness teacher Mm -hmm. physique that makes it feel inaccessible. It is very, very common for people because, especially because there's a big, um, one of the cornerstones in teaching mindfulness meditation is, you know, we're talking about change and we're talking about present moment and we're talking about compassion there. The, some of these, um, the places where mindfulness gets stuck is where we're like clinging to something or trying to control something or not willing to turn towards the truth of a moment. Mm -hmm. And an example that is used really often is some variation. And I don't need to don't even need to be specific about it, but some variation on food as numbing is like Mm -hmm. just a constant constant go-to. And I, I found myself shutting down the way that food was used in teaching stories was just constantly triggering me. And so, yeah, I just wanted to validate that experience because I think, I mean, I've, I've also experienced it and um, you know, even if I hadn't experienced it, it's a valid perspective, but I think sure. it's incredibly common and you, you and I are not the only ones who've noticed it. That is persistent and it's beginning just as Western mindfulness. And I do want to be clear, obviously, this is also a tradition that is rooted in thousands of years of practice uh, in other cultures. And Western mindfulness has been slow to, um, but is, is really trying to be intentional about addressing some of these other patients of inclusivity. It has become increasingly common to have like a BIPOC or LGBTQ practice group, or some of those sorts of supports are already in place. And it is just like so many other conversations about inclusion that we're starting to see very slow, um, but increasing conversations about ableism and about all kinds of things about uh, body acceptance or like weight stigma. Some Mm -hmm. of that is beginning to make its way into the conversation and it's slow and it's still that with a lot of resistance because there is like so many people who are leaders in mindfulness are also leaders in other parts of the wellness industrial
0: complex. Yes, that is absolutely something that I see a lot of overlap in that there's this huge overlap in mindfulness because you're absolutely right. Of course, mindfulness has long standing history and practice in other parts of the world and and things like that. So I should definitely like. I appreciate the clarification that we're talking about like modern day Western mindfulness that is very much wrapped up in like the wellness, the quote unquote wellness industry. And, you know, it's like mindfulness and smoothies, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, I think that overlap between that version of mindfulness and the, So, as you so accurately named it, wellness industrial complexes, why we see so much diet culture in this version of mindfulness. And so, yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that. I have not
2: published any of this yet, but I am like trying to write and trying to get clear in my own thinking and speaking and, and, and work about this, that I just think that it is I mean, it's baked in, so it's hard to call it a blind spot, but I think that it's, it's a real problem. And I think that when we let that part of the mindfulness community take the reins of the, of the whole movement, then we lose something that's got a lot of potential for a lot
0: of healing and help for people who could use it. Absolutely. So can you tell us more about how you incorporate Body liberation and body compassion into your mindfulness and meditation work for yourself with the folks that you work with and stuff like that, and how you do incorporate that healing into it. So I've created kind of backwards, this three course series
2: where there's an introduction to mindfulness meditation in the body, like mindfulness in the body introduction to mindfulness meditation for body compassion. And then introduction to mindfulness meditation for body liberation. And I designed these three courses totally backwards. I started with body liberation and then realized that even people who wanted to talk about body liberation, weren't quite ready. (laughs) And so (laughs) we needed to start with body compassion. And then I was like, even so we need to, we need to like build some foundation. And so anyway, um, so it's kind of gone in reverse, but in each of these classes, it is a six week, pretty traditional introduction to mindfulness meditation class. And the big difference is that I'm bringing my lived experience in a fat body and also, you know, the work that I've done in these, um, you know, in intuitive eating and in haze, like in understanding these frameworks in, all of the readings and conversations that have informed my work so far. And I'm using those things and citing, you know, I want to cite Sabrina Strings and Deshaun Harris and Ruth King and, and all of these other thinkers who talk about these themes in different ways to use all of the quotes and teaching stories and to make sure that they are all centering a different experience.
0: Mm -hmm. so
2: it's still an introduction to mindfulness class it's just an introduction to mindfulness class with a different set of stories than than people are used to and I also because it's so important to me to fill those gaps and raise the common language around this stuff I do include a lot of resources optional Mm -hmm. readings and podcasts and articles and books
0: and all kinds of things that I include as resources between classes for people. I love that. So it's, it's not so much the practice of mindfulness meditation that changes. It's how we couch it that changes. It's the context that we put it in and the narratives that we put it in and the stories that we tell it through and all of that, that changes.
2: I think that's right. I I think there's one place where it's a little more explicit and it is. My last class is always about engaged mindfulness, which we talk about how you bring mindfulness into the world, how it is not, you know, it's really easy to think about mindfulness as the solitary act of what you do by yourself, quote unquote, on the cushion, you know, in your chair or on, you know, in your own, on your own two feet or on your bed or whatever, because I also do a lot of teaching around There is not a moral hierarchy to postures. (laughs) You're doing the posture that's most supportive for you in that day. And that Mm -hmm. will change day to day. But it's also not solitary. The way that we become better at being able to stay with the full breadth of the truth of the moment to moment experience, the way that we are able to stay with discomfort. And I know that resilience is not a thing that we just like want to build for the sake of it because that comes from struggle. It is also true that we cannot resource ourselves against the struggles that are happening in our lives, unless we can acknowledge that they're happening. Yes. And so, you know, this turning towards the discomfort and then learning how to do that compassionately is not actually a solitary act. Mm-hmm. It's an act uh, that ripples out into our conversations when we're then able to do that better. And I invite people to think about that, both from you know, uh, from their in their own experience and disrupting some of these, we talk about some of the specific ways that can that can happen. What that micro activism looks like mm-hmm. as an extension of the practice uh, of, of meditation.
0: Oh my God, that's huge. And I also feel like it brings it kind of like full circle back to where we almost started this conversation of how it has to be both inner work and outer work, because like changing things, changing how you feel personally about yourself or about things like is great. And like, sure, it can have ripples like in your small community, which is important, mm-hmm. but like, it's important to look at like, okay, what can I change internally and what needs to be changed systemically? And how do I address both of these things?
1: Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) totally. That's huge. Oh my gosh. Can you tell us a little bit more about your courses? Are they live courses? Do you have a certain start date and end date so that you have like a group or a cohort of people kind of tell us a little bit more about how all of that works in case someone out there listening (laughs) wants to get involved.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, they are live. Um, they are on zoom though. So you don't have to be in any particular place. I have been, um, I've been doing them in the evenings and I've had, in the last course, I had more people on the West coast than usual. And so I had talked to to a few people who had um, not been able to attend. And and we agreed that this next one, I would try doing a lunchtime on the East coast first thing in the morning for the West coast folks, And so it's an hour long zoom. There are parts of it that are conversation and there are parts of it that are reflection. And there are parts of it where I teach. And then we also practice the, the classroom teacher in me <laughs> can't resist like needing to, to interrupt, not, not let attention wander too long. Cause I, I just know that um, my own attention doesn't stay while someone talks at me online for an hour. So
1: mm-hmm. that's not how those classes run. <laughs> awesome. awesome. When are you going to be launching the next course?
2: So it just went up on my website this week. And so there's definitely still room. Um, The next course starts in the middle of September and you can register now or join the mailing list and keep in the loop for future classes. I'm expecting to offer all three of these at least once a year. And we'll see if there need to be other um, offerings because I do try and keep them small. and, And sometimes we're bumping up against what is the the capacity on that. So I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting some, but it is still usually a small group.
0: And do people have to do them in the, in order?
2: No, thank you. I'm so glad you asked that. Mm. No, I mean, since they were invented in opposite order, it's (laughs) like, um, I, I found also that some people, you know, you get to the end of the, the, the class and they're like, I only was doing this because I was in class, but I like how it's, it's feeling. <laughs> how do I keep doing this in class? And so it's like, we'll come on in with the next class. And so, um, yeah, you can go in any order, but I, I think, um, especially if you're really new to this conversation to start with the first one, which conveniently is the next one that's coming up. Um, it's nice. going to be, Yeah. Mindfulness and the body um, is what will start in the middle of September. And so, yeah, we're on track to, to come on in at the beginning and, and then we'll go on from there.
0: I know that you also have a free community care space. Can you tell us a little bit more about that too?
2: Yes. Thank you. Um, That is something that started when all of the conversations and shake up what's happening in the Hayes community Mm -hmm. this spring, I found myself, you know, really new to using social media around my business and just like not in my comfort zone at all and wanting to do something more. And so essentially I found myself kind of twirling about like how to, how to be helpful. And then I just thought I'll just do what I know how to do. (laughs) And so on Wednesdays at noon Eastern, I do a 15-minute practice, and it is intended to support fat activists and allies, and it is free, has always has been, always will be, you know, as long as it exists and there's interest, as long as it continues to work for my schedule, um, I, I don't see... I don't see an end in sight though. Um, I, I know things change and interest, you know, waxes and wanes, but it's been really sweet. Some days it's a bigger group and some days it's really tiny. People are welcome to have input if they have, you know, a request about a skill or a practice or a technique or a question. I'm open to it being a space that is designed by this community and so, at times, there have been like online forums for uh, feedback. People are always welcome to email me. Sometimes people will unmute and ask for something. It's really adaptive and casual and fun. And so, yeah, uh, sign up and come Wednesdays at noon.
1: Yay, that. that sounds That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. We'll put links to all of this in the show notes of this episode and We'll reshare some of your posts on our Instagram page too, so that folks can easily click to find you and to find your links that way too.
0: Yeah. But just for folks who are listening, can you tell us your website and social media in case people want to find you and don't want to look for the show notes? Cause I feel like (laughs) nobody ever looks at the show notes.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. My website is www.ebethwatkinsprice.com. Ebeth is the only shortening of my first name that I've ever <laughs> I've ever gone for. <laughs> I like um, it. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of my friends call me ebeth and uh and that that's that's what that is. Um and my Instagram is at by ewp. So that's B-Y-E-W-P. It was a, a practice space for practicing being myself and pep talking myself into it, uh, out loud for, for years, I was, uh, posting really bad art and really like kind of joyfully posting terrible art that I was making and then putting haikus that I needed to hear, like, <laughs> like kind of self pep talk haikus for years. And I, <laughs> When I then transitioned it to being my business Instagram, I just like I couldn't let it go. I just left it all up there. So you can see you can see what's happening now. You can see what I what I needed several years ago. Maybe it'll be helpful.
1: (laughs) Everybody's gonna go do a deep scroll (laughs) on your Instagram page. I'm about to. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) It's pretty fun. (laughs) Yes. So Elizabeth, what is satisfying for you right now?
2: I am delighted to be answering this question while we're all in the mountains of North Carolina because yes. what is like most satisfying to me as someone who usually lives um in the very swampy muggy uh triangle area in North Carolina um is mountain air in in August to have like pleasant outdoor air and and local honey those are the two things that are like making this little mountain vacation that I'm on just Go from being like pleasant to being incredibly satisfying. (laughs) Oh my God. I love
0: that. Those are two things that I'm a big fan of as well.
2: They're so good. What is better?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with us, for taking some time out of your mountain vacation to talk with us, (laughs) no less. Um, It's just, this was such a great conversation and we just really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Oh, I'm so honored, and I'm just delighted to get to continue growing and you know in community with y'all, and um, and to to get to be a part of this is just really a treat. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again to Elizabeth Watkins Price for an awesome conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, come and connect with us over on Instagram at Satisfaction Factor Pod. Or one simple thing you can do to support the podcast is to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those ratings and reviews help bump us up in the rankings and reach more people. And we always really appreciate it. That's all for
1: us this week. We'll see you next time.